Well, I hope that you're having a great day today, wherever you're at and whatever you're doing. And thank you for joining us again as we continue our look through the Bible together for 2021. We're on to week 13 this week, and we should have finished up the book of Deuteronomy and gotten started with about the first half of the book of Joshua, continuing through that Gospel of Luke together and Psalms 13, 14, and 143 mixed in as well. Well, what I'd like to do, um, the same I did a few weeks ago, was just give a quick overview of the book of Deuteronomy, is to give a quick overview of the book of Joshua. As I said a few weeks ago, that um, Deuteronomy was a really important book in the Old Testament canon because it was a restating of God's law for a new generation before they entered the promised land. And now Joshua is the account of God keeping his promises to his people and showing his faithfulness over the years. You know, there's, there's so much packed into the book of Joshua. And the primary figure in the book gives it its title. Joshua means Yahweh saves. Yeshua, and oftentimes is likened to Jesus in the New Testament um, in name. Um, somewhat in character, although we do see some flaws in Joshua and the need for a perfect Savior in the New Testament in Jesus Christ. Um, Joshua, though, a, a appropriate name, Yahweh saves, for the man who led Israel under God's command to a victorious conquest of the promised land. Uh, most scholars would agree that Joshua himself wrote the book, or a close scribe, someone who would have been with him, because the early chapters in there include many um, different instances of of a collective, you know, first-hand experiences, pronouns such as we and us happen through those first chapters, and you get military details um, that are worth being noted that are obviously recorded by someone who was in the know, by either the general, that would be Joshua, or someone who was there with them. Um, Joshua chapter 24 refers to Joshua writing at least a portion of the book himself. Um, you know, as you go through the end of the book there after his death, the high priest Eleazar or Phineas um, probably have supplemented some of the material in this book that alludes to the events after the conquest, and you'll see that through the end of the book if you want to dig into that a little bit more. But um, the name of the book really describes the one who is the main character in there. So where, where are we at in the historical timeline, I guess is a question here. The events of this book, they span a period of about 25 years, and they start soon after the death of Moses, that's Joshua 1.1, which is around 1406 BC. We said that's when the book of Deuteronomy um, was written as well, and before the conquest Commence, you know, all these dates that, that you throw out are interesting because they can be so corroborated by other events, not just the Bible, extra-biblical sources, um, archaeological finds, historical events. Um, you can go back and into Jericho and you see the, the evidence of a, of a great fall of the city at that time that can be, be dated. Again, just a, an astounding thing to me um, that God has provided ways outside of his word to confirm the validity of his word and um, some interesting stuff there. Obviously, we don't have time to go into much of that, but if you'd like to dig into some of that, I'd be happy to point you in the right direction if you just shoot me a message on that. Um, the conquest of the land of Canaan takes about seven years, and Joshua's final address and subsequent death, they come almost 20 years 
later. So we get that time period that is happening there. And when the book opens, we see that the people of Israel are poised on the other side of the Jordan River across from Jericho. And we get that wonderful description of um, the, the conquest of Jericho and how God used some very inordinary and extraordinary means to make that happen. And um, it's a wonderful thing to see God's faithfulness revealed. You know, this history is written so that the victorious Israelites who settled the land would not forget how they got there. You know, you get this description up here and very detailed boundaries of all the different land that was allotted to all the different tribes. I mean, that's not in there just for kicks and giggles. It's in there so that future generations, ones who were not part of the conquest of the land, did not know Joshua or Moses, um, would know that God was faithful and that he had provided these things for them. And Joshua reminds them of that on numerous occasions. Um, Joshua records here really the, the culmination, you know, the, the finality of Israel's journey to the promised land. And it's just so absolutely incredible that this promise was started centuries and centuries before, and we see it here actually being fulfilled. We see God fulfilling his promise to give land um, in Canaan to Jacob's descendants, and Joshua portrays the Lord as their general the one who would lead his people into victorious battle if they would trust and obey, hitting on so many of those same themes that Moses gave us in the book of Deuteronomy, that if the people would trust and obey, then God would bless and he would do these things. But unfortunately, the story of Joshua is also a story of some contradictions. You know, On one hand, we see that God absolutely gives them the land that he had promised to the nation. He keeps his end of the bargain, but the people, the people failed to possess it completely. And we see that, you know, there's a lot of the people of Canaan are left in the land, even though God was very clear to, to remove them completely so that they didn't become a snare. And we see God's faithfulness and Israel's unfaithfulness set up against each other there in this contradiction. You know, God fulfilled his bargain, but Israel did not finish their job. The Canaanite people in the future would become a very damaging influence to Israel. You know, they would be a thorn in their side. And as you continue through the book of Judges, you actually see God using those sinful people to judge his chosen people. You know, in this book of Joshua, we find these accounts of faithfulness with Rahab the prostitute, Joshua chapter 2, the battle of Jericho, Joshua chapter 6, Caleb as a warrior in Joshua 14. We see those things. Those are all faithful accounts of people recognizing who God is and responding to him in a correct way. But we also witness disobedience and its consequences, the consequences of sin. Achan's sin in chapter 7 is very, very apparent. The resulting loss at the battle of Ai later on in chapter 7. The failure of some tribes to really wipe out God's enemy as commanded. And even Joshua himself, the one who was God's man, God's leader, making a treaty with the Gibeonites without first seeking the Lord. That's in Joshua chapter 9. So it's important to understand that the book of Joshua was written so that future generations would understand how they came to be where they were and that they would understand exactly what God 
had done. I want to go to Joshua chapter 5 for just a moment together, and then we'll finish up this short overview together. This really struck me as I was going through here in Joshua chapter 5, verses 10, 11, and 12. We get the account of the first Passover in the land of Canaan. And it says this, While the people of Israel were encamped at Gilgal, they kept the Passover on the 14th day of the month in the evening on the plains of Jericho. And the day after the Passover, on that very day, they ate of the produce of the land, unleavened cakes and parched grain. And the manna ceased the day after they ate of the produce of the land. And there was no longer manna for the people of Israel, but they ate of the fruit of the land of Canaan that year. When you think back on the journey of the Israelites and how God had provided for them, and the manna that he had provided was a huge part of that. It was a daily reminder in the wilderness of God providing for his people. Each and every day, they would go out and they would gather the manna that they needed for that day or on the sixth day for the sixth and seventh day. And God provided for them every single day for over 40 years. And as you read through the, the account in the Old Testament here, you see that the people often lost sight of that and grew weary of it. But man, what a great reminder of who God was. And we see here in this account in Joshua chapter 5, that this manna ceases. God's provision, we could think, boy, this would be a really hard thing for the people. In verse 12, there, the manna ceased the day after they ate the produce of the land, and there was no longer manna for the people of Israel. God's provision had come to them in this way so many times over the years, and now it was stopping. But what we see is that God's provision doesn't actually cease, it just changes. You know, I think we can often get caught up in looking at how God has been working, how he has done something, how he has provided in the past. And we should remember those things because through those things we are reminded of the faithfulness and the goodness of God. But it's so easy for us to miss that God is doing a new thing and that he is going to provide in a different way and that he is going to absolutely continue to provide for his people. So I can imagine the Israelites here mourning the loss of manna, that thing that had almost become the bane of their existence because they ate it so often. But mourning that loss because God had provided for them in a way. And God shows up in that instant and continues and begins and continues to provide for them in a different way. You know, and as we look through the book of Joshua, we see that we um, are going to understand again and again that the promises that God makes are the promises that God keeps. You see that throughout the book, that all of the promises of the Lord come to pass. So big idea of the book of Joshua, past that. It was, um, we've said it, written to the descendants of those who would go and conquer the land. And it's really, it's a historical account. It's not just a story, it's history, so that they would know and understand how they came to settle where they were, why the specific tribes had specific pieces of land in the promised land and why certain tribes were um, placed in different in different places. You get those accounts as you go through. The book of Joshua celebrates God as the general, the defender, and the king of Israel. I think even more significant than that probably though is that Joshua serves as the connecting story between the days of Moses 
and the days of the judges. And I can imagine these, these elderly Jewish people, these Israelites, sitting around talking over the campfire. You know, back in my day, I saw God provide for us every day in the wilderness. And I saw God provide for us with a pillar of cloud and of fire. And he, he showed us who he was. And um, sharing that history, and then this book, Joshua gives that connection between that time and how we so quickly fall to everyone did what was right in their own eyes in the book of Judges. You know, that thing that Moses started in the wilderness and he endured so many years, Joshua was able to finish with the help of the Lord. And they are able to claim victoriously the land that God's promises. Joshua 21, 45, again, says, Not one of the good promises which the Lord had made to the house of Israel failed. All came to pass. And those last few verses of Joshua narrate three different burials. They narrate the burial of Joshua, um, the bones of Joseph, and then Eleazar, the high priest. And that's all in Joshua chapter 24. And it may seem strange to you, but those burials all proclaim God's character. You know, all three of those men there were associated with Israel's days in captivity, and they were all associated also with God being a God who keeps his promise. Joseph, so long ago, um, the, Jacob's family first settled down in Egypt, and we saw God provide for his people through Joseph, and they brought his bones up out of Egypt. Joshua and Eleazar would have been young men as they left Egypt and went on that long journey through the wilderness and saw God's faithfulness there and walked those things with Moses. And now, now we see all three of those men whom God used in very specific ways to further the future of his people, all three of them are laying at rest in the land of promise. That's a witness of God's faithfulness. God is the ultimate promise keeper. He is faithful and he is present with Israel in the book of Joshua, and so he is with us as well. You know, if you're looking for a key verse for your life, a sound bit perhaps from Scripture, the book of Joshua has several for you to choose from. Um, Joshua 1.9 is one that always has stood out to me. Be strong and courageous. Do not tremble or be afraid, for the Lord your God is with you wherever you go. He has made promises and he has kept promises. And when God says something, you can take it to the bank. You can know that he is going to do what he says he's going to do. And that's what the book of Joshua teaches us. That he promised, and it took probably a little bit longer than the people of Israel thought it would, but he promised that he would provide that land for his people. And this is the account of him making good on those promises, even though the people were not faithful to him. Praise be the Lord that he is still a God who keeps his promises and does what he says he is going to do. Well, thank you so much for joining us again this week. I hope that you are really enjoying this time in the scripture. I um, just invite you again to throw out any questions or comments that you have. would love to talk more about these books of the Bible as we go through. And we will be back next week with a look at um, the end of the book of Joshua and into Judges and continuing on through the book of Luke together. Thanks for joining us. Have a great day.